0: Amen. A psychology professor had just finished a lecture on mental health and was giving an oral quiz. And speaking specifically about manic depression, uh, she asked, how would you diagnose a patient who walks back and forth screaming at the top of his lungs one minute, then sits in a chair weeping uncontrollably the next? Clearly she had stumped her students and she just sat there in total silence. They had no idea. And finally, one young man raised his hand in the back and said, a basketball coach? I thought that's a great description, right? Just a little March Madness humor. This is my favorite time of the year, high school basketball tournaments, championship week in college basketball, almost to uh, March Madness and the brackets and all of that. And so uh, just an encouraging thing for me. So just a little March Madness humor as we begin to deal this morning, uh, what is a heavy subject? And uh, so let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 42 for the ninth message in our The Struggle is Real series titled, Battling the blues. Now, I can tell you that after 15 years of teaching, uh, there are times where you get up to teach. And you, you just wonder, is what I'm teaching relevant today? Is it going to connect with anyone? Am I preaching and teaching where people are living? Is my theology practical? You know, Does it flesh out in people's lives? And so uh, let me just take a little survey this morning to find out if what we're teaching is relevant. If you're here this morning and you've ever struggled with a season of discouragement or depression or even despondency, would you just raise your hand and acknowledge that this morning? Yeah. Listen, if your hand's not raised, uh, let me just newsflash, no one likes you, All right. Right? Like we've all been there. We've all walked through those seasons, and uh, we've all felt like it was hopeless. And I've said this many times uh, that I believe that uh, some of Satan's most effective tools against believers are intellectual doubt and emotional discouragement. Satan cannot steal our salvation, so he goes after uh, our joy. And so, one of my reading goals every year is to always read uh, Christian biographies about notable and influential Christians. I think it's a good practice because it reminds me, number one, that God works extraordinarily through ordinary people. As you read the pages of Christian biography, you realize these are people just like you and I. Sometimes we read about people in scripture and we discount and uh, don't understand those are just normal people, but biographies help us that. But Also, uh, it reminds us that uh, people in those biographies they're people just like us. They struggled just like we struggle, and yet God still used them in incredible ways. Listen to just a brief listing of some of the giants of the faith who struggled deeply uh, with discouragement and even depression. William Carey, who was the amazing missionary pioneer, uh, suffered what one biographer called sheer black depression. He said, I could see no light, neither at the end of the tunnel or out the front door, just sheer Black depression, yet God used him in an incredible way as a pioneering missionary. C.H. Uh, Spurgeon, revered as the uh, last century's greatest Baptist preacher, was so plagued by despres- uh, discouragement, and depression, fatigue and illness that in a span of pastoring 39 years, he resigned 32 times in 39 years. Uh, Martin Luther, father of the Protestant Reformation, uh, struggled deeply with depression. Uh, He described it in these terms. He said it's melancholy, heaviness, depression, dejection of spirit, downcast, downhearted. He suffered his whole life uh, from this and wrote about it often in his works. And the Bible uh, offers multiple examples of people that God used who struggled with uh, discouragement and depression, again, flat-out despondency. Now, the Bible never uses the word depression, but listen to the host of terms that Scripture uses in describing this uh, state. It uses words such as downcast, broken-hearted, troubled, miserable, despairing, mourning, uh, among the others. So uh, let me just give a little disclaimer this morning before we get into the text in Psalm chapter 42. And the disclaimer is this. I- I'm not going to unravel all the complexities and mystery related to depression in one 35-minute message, all right? So if you come here thinking, hey, this is great, it's going to fix all my problems, um, come, come a couple more times, okay? But the reality is this, because there's a lot of discussion, debate, even in Christian circles, about the overlap between what is physical and what is spiritual uh, in depression. There's a lot of overlap about what the uh, prescription is for depression, debate and discussion back and forth about that, and so this morning, I want my focus to be... Uh, Just what I feel is the most common form of depression, which is a just spiritual depression. Uh, It's it's a season of discouragement. It feels like the hand of God is absent and the work of God is not present in your life. Uh, Some writers have called it being in a desert experience. Uh, Others have called it the dark night of the soul. And so uh, this is just my opinion in pastoring for 15 years. I believe this uh, wholeheartedly, that uh, often untreated, undealt with spiritual depression uh, can grow into full-blown clinical depression. And so this teaching this morning is dealing with more spiritual depression and it's a little more preventative as uh, a common struggle we're going to walk this morning. One of the key passages is Psalm 42. Throughout this series, I've wanted to teach you key passages in dealing with life's common uh, challenges. And so, as it relates to discouragement or depression, uh, Psalm 42 is a key passage. Psalm 43 is a key passage. Psalm 77 is a key passage. And so, we're just going to walk through Psalm 42 this morning. So, let's look together here in the text, and we're just going to read all eleven verses this morning. As the deer pants for the water brooks, uh, so my pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with a multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Oh, my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan and from the heights of Hermon and from the hill Mazar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Verse 9, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy. As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Now, if you were here this morning and you're not depressed after reading that, you are, right? Right? That is a heavy psalm. Listen, so many times we think of worship as, all you know, it's happy, clapping, and it's all celebratory and those kind of things. Uh, the psalms are, are psalms written to help us worship God vertically. Proverbs are written to help us have wisdom in horizontally in relationship. Psalms are directing our thoughts vertically and worship to God. And what you notice in reading the psalms is this. They are brutally honest. Uh, They they describe incredible turmoil, struggle. There's a whole section of Psalms called the Psalms of Lament. And so the reality is this, is that following Christ is not always, uh, as a friend of mine says, uh, unicorns and rainbows. Did you know that? That sometimes it's uh, uh, weeping, sometimes it's lamenting, sometimes it's recognizing that that God uses the brokenness in our lives to draw us to him, and out of that comes an overflow of worship. But the reality is this, is that life is hard, and the psalmist is walking through a difficult season. And uh, so as we walk through some principles this morning, the first thing I want you to understand simply is this, is that depression is not a mark against your Christian character. It's not the absence of spiritual maturity in your life, it's not a lack of faith. It's not what's wrong with them. Like they should have, you know, with the Lord's on our side, and if God be for us, who can be against us? And no weapon formed against me shall prosper, you know, all these verses. And, and if you don't believe that, then there's, your faith is so low. And so, therefore, what's wrong with it? Listen, throughout the word, there are countless. Examples of godly people that God used in incredible ways that we still study their life today who walk through seasons of discouragement and even full blown depression and despondency. And one of the things we, uh, reading the scriptures, a mistake we make is we look at the people in the pages of scripture we're like, well, I, I don't relate to them. Like they're almost like a comic book hero, right? I mean, sure, that was true in David's life or Moses or Noah or Saul or you know, whoever this, but, but I'm just me and I'm ordinary. Listen, one of the reasons we can have confidence that God's word is true is because it's brutally honest. It exposes real people with real problems and a real God walking in their lives in the midst of all of those problems. Uh, Listen to this list. It is literally a who's who from the Bible about people who struggled with discouragement and depression, even full-blown despondency. David uh, David was the guy who many of the Psalms lament. David is authoring those. David's talking about his enemies coming over him. We read in uh, Samuel chapter 12 and uh, chapter 18, David is so despondent at the death of his son. He's in deep depression. Uh, David's honesty with his own weakness. Listen to this. Verse is rattling off from David's life. Psalm 38, 4. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. That's what depression feels like. Uh, right here in verse 11 in Psalm 42 David says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? What's so disturbed within me? You know, David asked that question three times in 11 verses. What's wrong? What's wrong? What's going on inside of me? He keeps asking that over and over. So David walked through depression, Uh, Elijah was discouraged. He had an incredible spiritual victory at the prophet of Baal, but then he got on the run, and he was afraid of Jezebel, and so he ran from her, he ran out to the desert, he sat down under a tree, prayed, totally defeated, totally worn out, and here's what he said in 1 Kings 19. I've had enough, Lord. You ever prayed that? God, in case you're not aware, in case you're trying to refine me through this trial, I'm good. I've had enough. Go, go find someone else who needs help, right? He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm not better than my ancestors. Jonah, angry, wanted to run away, uh, finally just runs from God. God said, hey, go preach these people. Jonah said, they're not worthy of your grace. I'm going to run. I'm going to disobey God. And so God says, hey, listen, I'll, I'll uh, settle this issue. God gets swallowed by a giant fish, spewed out again. Finally, Jonah says, okay, okay, I get it. Uh, I'll, I'll preach, God. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll obey. And so he goes and he preaches, and an incredible revival breaks out in Nineveh. And so you got to think Jonah's responses, just humbled, that God would use him, overwhelmed with joy, right? No, here's what he said. Oh Lord, take my life from me, for it's better for me to die uh, than to live. Uh, even after God reached out to Jonah a second time with great compassion, we hear these words out of Jonah's mouth in Jonah chapter 4, uh, verse 9. I'm angry enough to die. We look at Job's life. We looked at it a couple weeks ago and we talked about the struggle when the righteous suffer. Listen, uh, we look at Job and the Bible says this, that Job is an example of faith. And that's encouraging me. Here's why. He's an example of faith and that doesn't have to happen apart from seasons of struggle while you're living out your faith. Uh, listen to some of the statements from Job's mouth. Job chapter three, verse 11. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Job 3, 26. I have no peace, no quietness and that was after I had kids so I can I can't figure that out. Uh, I have no rest, only turmoil. Job chapter 10 verse 1, I loathe my very life. Therefore I'll give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. What's he saying there? Hey, listen, I'm miserable and if you're around me, I'm going to make you miserable too. Job chapter 30 said this, terrors overwhelm me. My life ebbs away, days of suffering grip me, night pierces my bones, my gnawing pains never rest. I think the great leader Moses. Moses was grieved over the sins of his people. He walks up and has this incredible mountaintop experience, right? You all know that because you've seen Charlton Heston, you know how you right? all plays out. Just this incredible encounter with God. God gives the law to protect his people. What an experience. He, he walks down the mountain and what's he find? He finds the people involved in idol worship. This is what Moses says, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, uh, then blot me out of the book you've written. What what books are he talking about? He's talking about the book of life. In other words, God, take, kill me. That's what he says. Kill me. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah wrestled with loneliness, defeat, uh, insecurity. Jeremiah is actually known as the weeping prophet. God called him to preach, but never allowed him to be married or have children. He was alone. He lived alone. He ministered alone. He was poor. He was ridiculed. He was rejected by the people that he was sent to. In the midst of it, over all that, he wrestled incredibly with depression. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 20. Cursed be the day I was born. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? Now, if you're still not convinced, did you know this? That Jesus himself struggled with discouragement and despondency. Matter of fact, the prophet Isaiah prophesied of Jesus uh, in in Isaiah chapter 53. He said Christ would be man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Mark chapter 14, Jesus there uh, in the garden just bears out his soul in the place that he was in. And it said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watching. He went a little beyond them, fell to the ground, and began to pray if that were possible. The hour might pass from him. He was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible from you. Uh, you remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, uh, but what you will. So basically what Jesus is saying, Lord, I'm so, despond- I'm so grieved on the inside to the point of death, and ultimately I only want to do what you want me to do. But if it's your will, if it's find someone else to walk through, this, this is almost more than I can bear. So just a quick run through scripture. We see that some of the people that God used in great ways suffered greatly with seasons of discouragement and depression. And if God did not count it as a mark against their character to the point where they disqualified for their, uh, his use, then guess what? That same truth is true in your life as well. And that's important to remember why? Because when you walk through a season, you battle unbelief. God, God can't use me. I'm so weak. I'm struggling. I'm so, you know, God, why would the world would God use me? Here, here's why. If you're listening, say amen. God does not call you to service because you are able. God calls you because he is able. And it's in the brokenness of your life that his glory shines through and people are drawn to the glory of God and the cracks in your life are what it displays out of. Listen, did you know this? Despite all the attempts to project strength and confidence and I've got it all together, no one's attracted to your strength. Matter of fact, if you're a person who's always projecting how strong, how to get, listen, newsflash, no one likes you, all right? There's a depressing word, Right? People are drawn to your weakness because it's in the the frail things of life that the glory of God shines through, and people connect with that, and so God uses the weak to confound the wise is what Scripture says. You may be thinking, why would God do something great through someone as emotionally as weak as me because it's in your weakness Christ is made attractive. And if you've never experienced weakness, then guess what? You'll never know the strength of God flowing through your life in other people. And so, uh, I want to look at some practical things uh, for battling the blues uh, from this psalm. I don't want to be simplistic to uh, address a complex issue, but I do want to be practical and give you some things, to, some hooks to hang truth on this morning. So, number one, uh, just c- come to the place, battle against unbelief, that if you walk through a season of discouragement, depression, it's not a mark against your Christian character. God has always used broken people to accomplish his will all throughout history and all throughout scripture, over and over and over. Just rattle through a list. Here's the second thing I want you to see in the psalm is this. But when you want to grow out of that or be delivered from that, what what do I have to do practically speaking? Well, number one, you've got to identify uh, contributing factors. Identify contributing factors. Now, listen, I- I'm going to wade into an area this morning there's a lot of controversy about, there's a lot of uneasiness about as it relates to depression and the realm of uh, Christian teaching. I'm not doing it to be controversial. I'm doing it because it's a question that I have had asked to me over and over and over and over. And so that means it's an area where people are hungry for God's wisdom. And the question this morning, controversy, is related to the debate as to whether or not a Christian should take medicine for Depression. I mean, after all, uh, shouldn't we just pray more and ask God to heal us? Uh, Should we just read our Bible more? Should we just memorize more scripture? Uh, Why why take something to treat the body if the issue is in my heart? And so those are honest and fair questions. And so I want to read to you a blog post that uh, I quoted about four and a half years ago. And some of you may have heard this, but one of the things that depresses me is I've learned is that not everyone listens to my sermons over and over and over. I, I can't understand that, right? But about four years ago, in the book of Philippians, there's an incredible passage in Philippians on anxiety. And in that message, four and a half years ago, I quoted a blog post. And I I want to share it again in case you weren't here or again in case you haven't memorized it. But it was written to Dr. Russell Moore, theologian, author, uh, head of the Christian Ethics and Religious Liberty Committee. Uh, Here's what it said. The title was this, Is It Right for a Christian to Take Antidepressants? And so here's what this person wrote in to Dr. Moore. They said, Dear Dr. Moore, not long ago, my doctor prescribed me as having a relatively mild form of depression. He put me on antidepressant. I hate the side effects, and I don't like the way it makes me feel, but maybe I'll get used to it. My biggest struggle is whether it's right to be on these at all. Here's a question If I have the Holy Spirit, why do I need this medicine? Is it ethical for a Christian to take drugs like this? And they signed their name, I love this, dazed and confused. <laughs> Here's his response. Listen, it's a little lengthy, but it's so, so good, so stay with me, all right? Here's what he responds. He says, Dear Dazed, uh, most of the antidepressants you see advertised on television don't fix something as much as they alleviate symptoms. He said they rework levels of serotonin or dopamine reception, for instance, so that a person doesn't experience the same level of sadness or dullness or hopelessness, often even when depression or anxiety is rooted in non-physiological reasons. That person is so far gone emotionally that medication is necessary to start working on the root issues. But remember, for most people, there is no drug that will bring about a flourishing heart. What the drug is meant to do is numb the person to the pain of depression and anxiety. Numbing as part of the overall plan uh, can be a good thing. When I have a toothache, I want my dentist to give me an anesthetic so I don't feel that throbbing anymore. Listen, would you not be anxious if you walked in the dentist and said, hey, you're going to have a root canal, great, Um, here's a stick to bite down on, right? Right? No, gas me up, bro, right? Get me stoned before you drill in there, okay? Here's what he says. He said, "Uh, but before my tooth can be fixed, someone must shut down the agony that I'm in temporarily, but a dentist who simply treats my infected tooth with an anesthetic isn't helping me. Ultimately, the tooth must be fixed, so he says, don't medicalize that anxiety. Rehearse the gospel you've embraced and pray alone with others and seek the kind of counsel that can bring about the necessary life change to cope with whatever seems so hopelessness right now. So here's, here's what Dr. Moore is saying, and, and I completely agree with. For non-physiological issues, in other words, spiritual depression, issue of the heart, going on those kinds of things, medication can be used to numb the pain the short term so that you get the emotional strength to deal with the issue. But here's the reality. Um, it, it will never fix an issue that's rooted in the heart Listen if depression's the cause of unconfessed sin or, or bitterness or you know all kinds of brokenness that's going on that, that listen, you can numb the pain from that, but you cannot medicate away a heart issue if it's a non physiological thing that's going on. In fact, the depression, if it has its roots in the realm of the heart, what a person needs is for the solution is God's all-sufficient word that reveals an all-sufficient Savior who satisfies the deepest longings of your heart. Because if Christ doesn't satisfy the deepest longings of your heart, you'll try to have that happen through other areas, and you'll be disappointed, and a long series of disappointments usually ends up in discouragement or depression. And so the first place that we have to look is this question: it, it, What's going on in my heart? What, what's what's I, I know what's going on out here. I can see it. I'm trying to manage it. You know, I'm trying to like like what's going on in here that's driving those feelings. Look at verse five. This, this is the question the psalmist asked in verse forty two. What's he saying in verse five? Why are you cast down, O oh soul? In other words, what he's saying in verse five is, uh, what, What's going on in my heart? Uh, he asked that question. Uh, uh, again in verse 6, uh, God, my soul's cast down within me. Uh, verse 11, look at verse 11. W- why are you cast down, O oh, my soul? Uh, three times in, in 11 verses, he, he just it says, Hey, what's going on in here that's showing up out here? He's trying to figure out what's going on that's driving this feeling of depression or uh, despondency. And the goal is not just to manage that. It's to be delivered from it. And that only happens when we identify the source that's driving the behavior. Now think of it this way. Uh, We're not interested in rerouting the leak. We're interested in turning off the faucet. So at my house, uh, if you walk into my house, we... Put up a backsplash last year and we're putting in an island this year. And so it all just, you know, my wife's, you know, she picked it out, it looks pretty and all that kind of stuff. And so you walk in, so there's just, you know, this new stuff and it looks nice this thing. But there's a little disconnect because right above all of that is a, a, <laughs> a ceiling where large chunks of the ceiling have fallen from the sky, all right? Like you got this new island and this new backsplash and then chunks of the ceiling are missing. Tapes hanging down, you know, graffitis. No, that's not true. Anyway. And the reason's because this is why. Because I have a six-year-old. That's why. And over the five and a half years we've lived there, four times in five and a half years, she has flooded the bathtub. Uh, Our faucet fixture fell off about three years ago, and she she was three years old. And uh, and so just was that was this copper pipe sticking out of the side of the tub. And what she found out is when you turn the water on full blast, it's like a geyser. I mean, just straight up. I'm sitting there watching TV, and water's coming out of the lights. I'm like, that's not right. But I won't fix it because I know it's going to happen again. And sure enough, it's been about two years. I'm like, you know what? I may call someone to fix that because that's kind of embarrassing. You walk around. It's right when you walk It's right there. Ceiling tape hanging down. Two weeks ago, my 10-year-old comes running upstairs. Dad, there's a waterfall in the living room. She thought it was awesome. I did not. I mean, water gushing down on the couch pouring everywhere and i just said i did listen i just yelled out from downstairs josie right i flew into that bathroom she's in the tub water just i mean the floor is soaked she looks at me she's like what (laughs) listen here's why i tell that story here's why We've, we've grouted, we've resealed, we, you know, we've done all these things over the last four or five years. We've tried, you know, well, the water's traveling. This guy came in, the water's traveling. Listen, I'm not interested in rerouting the leak. I'm interested in turning off the faucet. And so in your own life, if you don't understand what's driving that depression, uh, you'll spend all of your time rerouting the leak where it causes less damage to you and those people around you. Listen, God's calling If it's spiritual oppression, God's saying, hey, turn off the faucet. What's going on in here will show up in your life. Uh, the greatest uh, case study of depression is found in 1 Kings chapter 17 with the prophet Elijah. Uh, Robert Somerville wrote a book, just an incredible book, called This If I'm a Christian, Why Am I Depressed? And is that not a great question? And he said, when studying the life of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17, he said there were contributing factors. There were things going on in his heart that drove his despondency. Listen to some of these from Elijah's life. There was conflict and confrontation in his life, conflict with King Ahab, if you read the story. Uh, he was enslaved to fear. He was running from Jezebel. That's how he ended up in the desert. Uh, He was tired, physically tired. He had traveled 100 miles in a little over a day, and then he ran into the wilderness and sat under the tree and said, God, kill me. And so the point is this. You have to start with identifying contributing factors in the heart before you can address them because we're not trying to reroute the leak. We're trying to turn off the faucet that's showing up in our emotions. All right? Principle number three. Thank God that he's at work within you. Thank God that he's at work within you. Whenever you find yourself in a season of spiritual depression, remember that if it's not for the accumulation of consequences from sinful or unwise choices, that means that God has allowed this trial into your life to grow and refine you. Now, let's let's just be honest. When I'm in the midst of a season of discouragement or depression, I'm not often sitting back going, God, thank you for your wonderful work in my life. Matter of fact, uh, what we often feel, even though it's not true spiritually, what we often feel is not, God, thank you for your work in my life. What we often feel is, God, why have you abandoned me? Here I am in the dark night of the soul, and there's no light of Christ going on in my life. Listen, that's exactly what happened to the psalmist. Look at verse 9. I will say to God, my rock. So he knows it intellectually. He knows what to call God. This is not uh, theological ignorance. I will say to God, my rock. What does he say to him in verse 9? Why have you forgotten me? You see, there's a guy who knew the truth about God intellectually, but spiritually and emotionally, it didn't feel that way. And my guess is this, some of you have been there and some of you are there right now. And so it's important to remind ourselves around the truth that in those seasons, God is often doing his greatest and deepest work and so, uh, so if I can remember that truth, then, then let me show you what it leads to. Uh, look at verse 11 again. Why are you cast down, O my soul? So again, he's taking inventory. What's going on my heart? What's going on in my heart? Uh, why are you disquieted within me? All that kind of stuff. And then he says this, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. I shall yet praise him. Now, now, now here's the question. How does the guy go in verse 9 to why have you abandoned me to verse 11? I will still praise you. The reason is because of this, if you're listening, say amen. amen. Is because in a season of depression, or discouragement, you cannot think of looking ahead to get through another day. And when you cannot do that, God says, hey, good news. You don't have to look ahead. Look behind you at all my faithful provision in the past because the same God who was present in past trials is the same God who will deliver you in a present trouble or circumstance. And you say, well, oh, that's, that's, that's such wit. Like, how do you know that, Yoda? Right? Like, that's what you're thinking right now, Right? Look at verse six. Here's how I know that. Look at verse six. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. And so, what's he say? Uh, does he say, "So, so I'm just gonna speak into existence a, a brighter future tomorrow"? All that stuff you see on TV, that garbage. No. Oh, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna hope real hard that tomorrow's better than today. Does he say that? No. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take control of these circumstances and I'm gonna engineer a better outcome tomorrow. Does it, no, no, it doesn't say any of that. Matter of fact, he says nothing that is forward in thought. What's he say in verse six? Therefore, because I'm depressed, therefore, I will remember. You know what, remember is, is remember future or past? That was, yeah, past. Therefore, I will remember you. From the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. So, so what, what are those three places? It's a reminder of God's uh, past provision and faithfulness in the midst of challenging seasons. Listen, Jordan was a reminder where God dried up the rivers so the tribes of Israel could inherit the promised land. Uh, the land of Hermonites is where God gave people uh, victory over the kings of the land uh, the, the happened on Hill Mazar, that's near Mount Sinai, where God gave the law to his people because he loved them and wanted to protect them. So so the psalmist says, hey, listen, when I cannot look ahead, another day, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. I, I cannot imagine. Imagine tomorrow being better than today. Woe is me. He said, so I look backwards and was reminded of all the times of your past faithfulness in Jordan and the land of Hermonites and the hill Mazar. And God, you are faithful. And just as you are faithful then, you will be faithful now. And so when you're struggling and you can't see forward, here's the good news. God says, don't look backwards. And look at the mile markers of all the times I've provided for you in the past and sustained you when you have the strength to stand. What is a good... Good word here in Psalm 42. So, you know me, I want to be practical. I don't want to motivate you and, you know, just call it bumper sticker theology. Uh, I want to be practical. And so let me give you some hooks, some things you can do to grow in hope when you're in the midst of a season of discouragement. Because here's here's the deal, Uh, depression is the absence of hope. Like, if you're walking through a difficult season, if God just parted the clouds and said, Hey, I hate to interrupt your day, but good news, tomorrow is fantastic. All this that you're walking through right now, uh, tomorrow, I'm going to wipe this slate, tomorrow's going to be incredible. Uh, then everybody would be like, You know what? I'm no longer depressed. Matter of fact, I'm encouraged. But the reason depression settles in is because hope diminishes and we come to the place where in our minds we come to a place of unbelief where we believe, "Hey, uh, God is no longer with me. He's abandoned me, verse 9. The life is crashing over me, verse 8. We, we are so clouded down in depression. I can't look back at his faithfulness, verse 6, and all the other times he's worked. And so I can't get to verse 11 where I praise him. And so what are some practical things that we can do to grow in hope while we're waiting on God to deliver us? Because here's the deal, this is just honest truth this morning. Sometimes it's a long journey in deep weeds. Did you know that? And you could name it and claim it and speak it to a better existence, and guess what? Tomorrow will be just as hard. Because God is sovereign over my circumstances. So, what do I do while I'm waiting? How do I grow in hope? How do I not lose hope? And so, let me just give you four super practical things, four habits to grow in hope. Number one is worship. Depression is an inward negative focus on me and my circumstances. Worship is a vertical focus uh, that exalts a God who is greater and sovereign over all my circumstances. Uh, Listen, depression is coming to a place in life and saying, uh, I don't don't see how. And worship is coming and saying, God, but you can. Uh, Depression is saying, God, this, this is terrible. And worship is saying, God, but you're still great. I've never understood this, but, but in 15 years, I've watched over and over and over as people walk through hard seasons. They walk away from the church instead of walking into the church. The psalmist in Psalm 73 said this, I was uh, cast down and downtrodden until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then it changed my perspective and reminded me that I've served a God who is faithful and good and just and sovereign over all my circumstances. One writer said, this is fantastic. One writer said this. I wish I was this smart to think of this. Here's what he said. He said, depression shrink wraps our world down to the size of our problems. But when we worship, we punch holes in the cellophane so the light of God can shine in again. Is that not fantastic? I've always said, depression shrinks. Fantastic. That's what worship does. It punches holes and lets the light of God back in. It reorients my thoughts instead of woe is me and my world and this stuff to a God who is greater and sovereign over my circumstances. So worship, one of the habits to grow in hope. Uh, secondly is lean into community. Now, it's no secret. I, I'm not a huge fan of humanistic psychology. Uh, humanistic psychology says that what's wrong with me is what's going on around with me. The Bible says just the opposite. What's wrong with me is what's going on inside of me. That those things couldn't be more polar opposite. So I'm not a fan, all right? Uh, but, but even from observational psychology, sociology, those worlds, we do observe that this, that uh, the reality is when people go through depression, the first thing they do is the worst thing they should do, which is isolate themselves. Listen, I've been counseling people for 15 years. Not one time has someone gotten through a season of depression or discouragement. I said, hey, how did you get through that? You know, I just locked myself in a dark room and never came out until it went away. Not one time has someone told me that. But yeah, that's what we do, is it not? Matter of fact, that's what the psalmist did. He say, how do you know that? Look, look at verse 4. Verse 4, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. He's talking about God's fast, past faithfulness. Then Listen to what he says. For I used to go, past tense, I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise. You know what he's saying here in verse 4? Let me put it in our common culture term. Uh, when I got discouraged, I got out of church. In other words, instead of leaning into community, I, got a, I ran from it. And let me just tell you this. Uh, the Bible describes Satan as a, in 1 Peter chapter 5, as like a roaring lion wa- roaming about seeking whom he may devour. And if you isolate yourself, you're away from the pack, then guess what? You're easy prey. Lean into community. Let people speak objectively into your uh, situation you're walking through. Uh, fi- be around those who. Uh, Rejoice when you rejoice and weep when you weep. Romans chapter 12 verse 15, be with those when you're, too, you're, you're so weak you can't even stand anymore. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says let other people bear up your burdens. Lean into community. What else do we do? We worship, we lean into community. Uh, the third thing that we do is uh, we get into, uh, get counseling. We get counseling. Now, I hope you're sick of me saying this because that means you're finally getting it. Um, but you're deceived by your own heart. That your heart is wicked and you don't even know what's going on sometimes. And it may, may intermingle that with subjective emotions. And sometimes you, your heart can turn you so upside down so fast that you're no longer objective about your situation. And you need someone to sit across from you and say, hey, listen, I hear what's going on. Uh, you, you're, you're all tangled up in the weeds of your emotions. Let me speak God's objective, unchanging truth into your world and give you a perspective you don't have. You say, is my heart really that deceitful? Jeremiah 17, 9. Listen to it in the New Living Translation. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Listen, if someone ever tells you, gives you advice, you don't know what to do, they say, hey, follow your heart. Listen, run. That's horrible, unbiblical, ungodly advice. Don't follow your heart because it's wicked and deceitful. Follow the objective wisdom found in God's word. So said, well, I don't like the word counseling. Well, listen, then confess your pride and call it what it is, discipleship. One person sharing with another person how God's word and this, uh, Christ can make a difference in their life. Objectively speaking into your situation when you're all overwhelmed with subjective emotions. Here's the fourth thing. Memorize and meditate on Scripture. Memorize and meditate on Scripture because what happens is this. When depression gets so dark, you can't see it your way around, you can't even remember the things you knew that were true about God. And in those seasons, if you don't hide God's word in your heart to where you can call it to mind when you can't see it, guess what? Your emotions will overwhelm you every single time. See, depression is saying this is never going to end. God's word says this too shall pass. Renew your mind and meditate and memorize. On key passages of Scripture. Well, if you come to Christ this morning, if you're not saved, He may not immediately deliver you from your depression, maybe a journey. But what He will do immediately is forgive your sins and give you a brand new identity. And there is no greater hope than that. And so I'd like to invite you to receive that hope today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning?